Thank you, men, for ministering in music. And until that becomes a reality, Revelation 22 talks about that river. In the future, until that becomes a reality, we should be striving to be faithful, honoring God, living in sensitivity to Him. And I might mention there's a care and share in the bulletin. Some people going through difficulties along the way. There's some others that are just sick. I know this morning there's a number that are going through some difficulties also. As a body, as we anticipate what's coming in the future, be an encouragement and a blessing to those that go through difficulty. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the written word, but also the living word, Christ. Thank you for the spirit who lives within us, who works in us. And as we consider scripture this morning, we want to be those who are hearers and doers of your word, Father, for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. A couple of thought questions, not looking for a response. What owns you? What controls you? What do you value most? What or who do you love most? As you answer, consider what you think about when you're on the job, when you're at home. I want you to put that in your mind and think, what I love the most is, what I value the most is, what controls me is. Some possible answers for we rich people, and I think we would be considered rich in America in contrast to many in the Bible times as well as many in our world today, might be a retirement nest egg, might be a car, might be a phone, might be God. Might be music, might be a computer, might be games, might be movies, might be, be TV, might just be noise, might be busy, might be Christ. You could think of some other things. What would your life be like if you were stripped of what you value? Could you rest in helpless dependency upon Christ if persecution or a major, major financial collapse in our country resulted in some of the things that you value? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, reading together verses 17 through 31. So we think about the passage that deals with discipleship. And keep in mind, as you read through Mark, there's a context to the passage. Back in the end of chapter Mark, the end of chapter 8 of Mark and into chapter 9, Jesus introduced discipleship. You know, if you want to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And then he discusses a number of other items. And in the context that we're considering, we found in the beginning of chapter 10 that discipleship means you have a marriage mindset rather than a divorce mindset. Discipleship means that if you're to receive the kingdom of God, you become as a little child. That is, you become helplessly dependent. 
And in the passage we are reading, I think we find an example of a man who was not willing to be helplessly dependent. Mark 10 and verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked around at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields, for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields and with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Several weeks ago, we discussed the first part of this passage where the rich man came to Jesus with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we know Jesus responded, you know, Keep the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man declared that I've kept these. Jesus did not debate that. He just said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. We know the man's face fell and he walked away. Sad. He was not willing to part with the love of his wealth, the love of his money. The rich man made his decision. He loved his wealth and chose it rather than Christ. He chose independence rather than helpless dependency. As he walked away from Jesus, Jesus responds to the twelve. He buys up a teaching moment. In verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
hard the idea of difficulty. It's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Riches, in verse 22, is talking about monetary wealth. Verse 23, there seems to be a slightly different connotation. One deals with wealth in terms of land. The other verse deals with wealth in terms of money. But either way, he says it's difficult for a rich man to enter, to take possession of, to partake of the kingdom of God. What is the response of the disciples? Verse 24, the disciples are amazed at his words. The idea of amazed means to be thunderstruck. The idea of amazed is to be out of one's wits, to be panicked, to be in shock. What? Can't believe that. What are they amazed at? How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. We'll comment more on that in a little. The disciples are amazed, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Depends on your translation. It says, one who trusts in riches. How hard it is for that person to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes on in verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes we read this passage and we maybe want to kind of downplay it, particularly the part, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I think Jesus is categorically saying it is impossible for a man or a woman who trusts in riches to get into heaven. It's impossible. Take it at face value. Sometimes people will say, well, maybe he met the needle of one of the gates in Jerusalem and a camel maybe could hobble through there, you know, if they worm through. Like he's saying it's impossible. And how do we know that? From the text, look at verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? They heard Jesus is saying it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Period. They're amazed at that. They were amazed when he said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now they're even more amazed and say to each other, who then can be saved? To illustrate the impossibility, here I have a small container. Does anyone think that you can take this blanket and stuff it into this container and put the lid on? No. Thank you. It's impossible. As is, some of you may think, well, we'll burn it. We could put the ashes in it. I'm talking as it is in its present state. It is impossible. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God.
And the disciples are kind of floored again. They're even more amazed. They were thunderstruck before. They were in shock. Wow! Now they're even more in shock and more thunderstruck. What's going on here? What's Jesus saying? So the question, who then can be saved? See, if a rich man can't enter the kingdom of God, who then can be saved? Now, I want you to keep something in mind. That the 12, according to what we can find in history, probably believed in an ancient rendition of a prosperity theology taught by the rabbis who used Old Testament passages to equate God's blessing with material prosperity and taught that the rich could build up future merit and reward for themselves by giving to the poor. To the Jewish mind, it was inconceivable that riches could be a barrier to the kingdom. He's confronting their mindset. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. It blows them away. We have the same mentality today among Protestants, not limited to Protestants. But we find that theology gets twisted to make economic prosperity evidence that someone is elective God. You know, the name it, claim it gospel today and we need to hear what Jesus is really saying and hear it well. Wealth is a handicap. We think the rich to be overprivileged. Jesus says they were underprivileged. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, either he hate the one and love the other, or, will he, be, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What is the disadvantage of wealth? primarily of what it can do to the soul. How easy it is for an earnest man or woman to become so attached to material riches that he forgets, she forgets what is infinitely more important. Wealth naturally works at perverting one's values. We know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Paul tells Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant. Most tragic, wealth can steal one against the objective requirement for entering the kingdom of God. Helpless dependency. Apparently, in the context of this passage, the rich man trusted his wealth. There's a tendency that comes with wealth to, wealth to trust it. 
So the disciples' response, who then can be saved? Jesus responds in verse 27. He looked at them. That is, he looked at the twelve. With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Ponder that verse. With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The salvation of a rich man is not possible apart from God. And as you look at Scripture, not limited only to this passage, that being saved, entering the kingdom of God, inheriting the kingdom of God, is a God thing. It's not a human thing. It's a God thing. God must work if there is to be salvation. In this particular context, he's talking about a rich person. The disciples say, who then can be saved? That seems to be their thinking. If a rich man can't be saved and a rich man can have some merit with God, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, it's not possible with man. It's a work of God. Humans trust in self by nature. We think we can do, we can perform, we can measure up. Particularly a rich person may think they can measure up. They can use their money to buy what they want. Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. Salvation is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Let's take our Bibles and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is writing to a divided church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Some of them were following Peter, some Paul, some followed Apollos, and then others said they followed Christ. And Paul is giving a solution to them, you know, for their division. Chapter 1 and verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolish, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish or made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greek look for, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, 
and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom, man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. What is Paul holding up to the Corinthians? The gospel of Christ. It's Christ. Salvation. Being saved. Mark 10. Who then can be saved? Inheriting the kingdom of God. As a rich man asked, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Entering the kingdom of God. All of those terms. And there being a reality as a God thing. Christ must be presented. If our flashy methods, our music, our programs appeal to unsaved and they respond, did they truly come to Christ? Salvation is a work of God. We far too often attempt to help God by going beyond the simple message of the cross of Christ. Jesus, in speaking to the rich man, gets to his heart when he says, go, sell what you have and give to the poor. The man's face fell. He went went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. There's a trust in the riches rather than Christ. Christ is not knocking wealth. It's not the point. Because Paul, in writing to Timothy, talks about addressing those who are rich in the faith. But he says a rich man can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Remember the context of the passage. Jesus said to his disciples in verse 15 of chapter 10, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Remember, a little child is one who is helplessly dependent. And he says, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become helplessly dependent. I can do nothing. Like a guy asked a few weeks back, if you were to stand before God, and the reason I ask it this way was because of where he was in life and the age he was and getting close to the end of life on this earth. I said, if you were to stand before God and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And his answer was about him. Well, I've lived a decent life. I treated my family pretty good. What's he doing trusting himself? If that man is to come to Christ, and in his case, he was not a wealthy man, God has to work. 
The Spirit of God must work in humble and convictive sin, righteousness, and judgment, according to John 16, 7 through 11. The 12 are saying, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Get the flow of the context. The rich man is a man or an example of a man who was not helplessly dependent. Trusting in his wealth. Jesus says, you know, salvation is a God thing. It's a work of God. It demands helpless dependency. So Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. And then Jesus responds, and we'll pick up on those verses next week and discuss what Jesus says is a reward of for those who have followed him. And then he talks about the first will be last and the last will be first. And explain that in the context of a helpless dependency. But I want us to think about some possible applications to this passage and see what the point of the passage is. What is the point of Mark 10, 17 through 31? Inheriting the kingdom of God, eternal life, involves laying aside or laying everything on the line, nothing before Christ. This choice requires a work of God. One becomes helplessly dependent. One gives up to claim to money and possessions as well as ability to do. See, when I asked you earlier, what is valuable in your life? How valuable is it? See, the rich man valued his wealth. He clung to his wealth more than Christ. I think we need to help people see what they love, what they trust in what they depend upon when talking salvation with them. In what or in whom do they place their trust or confidence? Will they choose to forsake it to follow Christ? Unless they're willing to forsake all, why invite them to trust Christ? The rich man what it is wealth. As we talk to unbelievers and we share and interact with them, we're offering something much better than wealth, things, phones, movies, computers. We're offering the person of Christ. But if they're to come to faith in Christ, God must do a work and convict them. We can't. It's a God thing. But sometimes we need to help them step back and see what they really love. So that they come to the point of helpless dependency. I have nothing to bring to God. 
I'm willing to let go of my wealth. I'm willing to let go of whatever. I can have a relationship with God. And that doesn't mean a believer has no possessions and so on. That's not where we're coming from. We're dealing with the heart. What is the trust in? Following Christ. Salvation is a God thing. He must work to bring us to complete helpless dependency, at which point we're willing to follow him to give up everything. But that's a God thing again. The Spirit of God must convict. Talking to a man years ago, he'd been in a hospital a number of times, and over and over again I would bring up to him the issue of eternal things and Talk to him about what happens when you die and where are you going to go and do you have a relationship with God and why do you trust in this and that? And he didn't really seem to get what I was talking about. He, he said, Pastor, called me Pastor, even though you know, I wasn't his pastor. But he said, Pastor, I just don't get what you're talking about. Why are you always talking about eternity? Why are you talking about Christ? I said, that's because... That's what I offer and what Christ offers. And I talked to him and it was like whoosh, right over his head and talked to him some more and right over his head and talked to him some more and right over his head. And I thought, this guy just doesn't get it. I explained it the best I could. And we discussed some issues in his life and what he may really value in life and it just went over his head. The last time I talked to him when he was in the hospital, I pushed pretty hard, not unkindly, but pretty hard, you know. You know, you might not be around here a week from now. Right over his head. See, this is a God thing, because months later he called me and he said, Pastor, you keep talking to me about eternal things. You keep talking to me about where I'm going to go when I die and so on. I just want you to know I have an answer for you now. It says it's Jesus. What happened? It's a God thing. God worked. Just as Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples respond, then who can be saved? Jesus' answer is, with, God, this is in, or with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Salvation is a God thing. To bring a person to the point of helpless dependency is a God thing. Yes, we need to verbalize, we need to live well, but it's a God thing for a person to be convicted and to draw. God left a rich man, or Christ left a rich man walk away. Because he was trusting in his wealth. Salvation is a God thing. Faithfulness in evangelism, making disciples, means people will walk away. That is, those who may trust in their money, those who may trust in their status, those who may trust in their abilities, those who may trust in what they can do. God doesn't need them. They need God if they're to have eternal life. 
You can be faithful in sharing the gospel. You can be faithful in befriending a non-believer on the job. You can talk to them about Christ repeatedly, and they may walk away, and you think, I blew it. No. Salvation is a God thing. We're called to be faithful. I don't think Jesus walked away from the encounter with the rich man saying, God, you know, I really blew it. That guy didn't choose to follow me. I really blew it. What should I do about this? Christ recognized it was a God thing. Whether it be a rich man or a poor man or a rich rich woman or a poor woman, someone who has all kinds of ability, someone who has all kinds of possessions, it's a God thing. For someone to come to faith in Christ. We come to Christ in helpless dependency. And God wants us to live in helpless dependency in our daily life. Have you come to faith in Christ in helpless dependency? God, I have nothing to bring you. I'm a sinner separated from you. I'll trust in Christ. I'm helplessly dependent if I'm going to have a relationship with you upon Christ. Have you come to faith in Christ? If not, why not today? In light of what I shared at the beginning of the message, I would also ask you, are you longing for Christ? More than the many things that we have in life. Retirement, and our nest egg in retirement, a car, a phone, music, computer, games, movies, sports, TV, noise, busy, and so on. Are we who claim Christ saying to all these other things, they're secondary as we follow Christ? Apparently, the things of this world, in light of what Paul said to Timothy, can have a lure on believers and pull us away from Christ and dedication to Him. And that's why he said to Timothy, warn those who are rich not to be sucked into it. What do we really value in life? For years, several years, I valued a car. God kind of lowered the boom on me a little and said, if you're a follower of me, you're going to have to follow me, really. Your car has become greater than me. As you know, that I totaled that car, but God again brought me back to myself. And in recent weeks, again, the Lord is saying, Dan, what do you really value in life? So I came in from the hospital three weeks tomorrow. 
what I consider a fair amount of pain. I thought, Lord, I don't like this. The question was, Dan, do you value me more than pain or being pain-free? Salvation is a God thing. Walking with God day by day as believers in helpless dependency is also a God thing. We trust Christ to come to faith. We trust Christ to walk day by day with Christ. Where are you? What are you trusting in? As we follow him, as we'll see next week, we can receive much. He talks about homes and brothers and sisters and so on, and also persecution. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We're grateful for working in our lives to draw us to yourself, giving us a relationship with you. And Father, in our daily lives, as we seek to witness to others and be a testimony to others, may we recognize that people coming to faith in Christ is a God thing. It's not something we can do. We can't convince. We can't lure. We can't offer the right formula. Your spirit must convict. May we recognize that and live faithfully and share Christ faithfully, but trust you to do a work. And Father, I pray too in our day-by-day living, you have blessed us with much. Maybe health, maybe a degree of money, maybe possessions. May we live in helpless dependency upon you, Father, glorying in you, glorying in Christ, and not in the thing or things that we may have. Learn to enjoy what you have blessed us with, but not to find our satisfaction in them. That we may be seen as a people who love you and are yielded to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.